I just ask you to ask somebody next to you, uh, are they perfect? And as much as we had fun with that, do you know actually the scriptures encourage us to pursue perfection? I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> and as you're turning there, we're going to start at verse 16, a very familiar passage of scripture. But I trust today with the soberness of the hour that we're all feeling, that we also just kind of look inward as well and really get serious about this thing for a moment because uh, we're going to read it in a moment, but I'll, I'll jump ahead to verse 23 when it says in a prayer form that God would completely sanctify us and make us holy as well as whole. This complete work. We, we live in a time where we talk about, are we a perfect 10 in the, in the eyes of somebody else? We talk about makeovers. There's all kind of industries now. There's all kind of programs where somebody went into this industry looking this way and they came out looking this way. And most people say well, that was a, a great improvement. And yet the scriptures are always calling us to a place of perfection as well. So would you stand with me? as we read God's word together. <clears throat> First Corinthians, First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, Abstain from every form of evil. Now, prayer form, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Will somebody say amen to that? God bless you. You may be seated. I intend to be incredibly simple today. And I started off with a simple thought. It's a given, but sometimes you just have to ask the given. And these are the simple things that I wrote down. As I went through scripture again, the different titles that God gives us through his word as believers. A few of them are saints, brethren, disciples, Christians, followers. Again, the given here is very simplistic, but let's give it one more thought, which means as we're called saints, saints are to be what? Separate, distinctly different. Brethren, are to be family. Disciples are to be discipled with discipline. Christians are to be Christ-like. And followers are to follow. Anthony, if you can help me a little bit. I'm, I don't know about out there. I'm roaring up here in the monitors. Again, simple thoughts. In this particular letter, which is the oldest letter of the New Testament. So from the very beginning of God inspiring a new set of writers, 
We're finding instruction of what is expected of us. And you can almost hear the congregation asking, what's the will of God for my life? As a pastor, as a youth pastor, as a minister, all these many years of serving at different levels, whether it was a teenager or a child, an adult, somebody in a hospital bed, somebody in their home, somebody in an altar, I would have people ask me that question, what's the will of God for my life? And right here, the Word of God, the eternal Word of God, says this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And what is that again? In other words, he's saying in summary, in benediction, here's some of the foremost pronounced thoughts that believers are involved in. And this particular letter calls us saints. So again, turn to somebody and call them a saint. That hasn't happened all week long, trust me. <clears throat> and yet... This is one of those words, and you know that I've done this because I've pastored here so long. I embrace this word, and there's always somebody else coming along that's never given it its due diligence. Because for many of us, especially if, if maybe there was a Roman Catholic background somewhere, when we hear the word saint, we think about somebody that's dead, and they've been dead long enough we forgot about all the bad stuff. And somewhere along the way, they did enough good that somebody wanted to chisel on a stone or marble a bust figure of them, and now we call them a saint. That is not what the Scripture is calling a saint. As it's written, it was written to these first century believers, and it's still inspired to speak to us today at Grace Life Church. And we're known as saints. That doesn't mean we are perfect it does mean that we're different. Turn to somebody again and say, yeah, you're different. We are distinctly different. And this is what we've got to get a hold of ourselves again. We've allowed status quo to come in. And we've just used somebody else's measuring stick to say, I'm doing okay in this area. I'm doing better than so-and-so. I must be okay. And we find ourselves, when we hear this word saint, we feel like I don't qualify at all, so we don't even try. And yet, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. Again, the simple list that I just gave us. I, I miss the days, really, when you'd come to church and somebody would come to you and they'd say, how are you doing, brother so-and-so? How are you doing, sister so-and-so? How many remembers that day? We've lost some things along the way. Sometimes uh, we hear that expression and we think somebody's calling us old. That's not the case. It was that feeling of family. It was also that call to accountability. You're my brother. You're my sister. Matter of fact, in New Testament writing, he even comes back and Paul's asking, you know, there's many a teacher, but where are the fathers? The scriptures admonishing us New Testament, the older women are to take the younger women to the side and to mentor them, the older men with the younger men. It's all because it's a family affair. We need each other. We need to inspire each other. We need to be accountable to each other. And so we're called the brethren. That includes everybody. We know that to be disciples means there's discipline involved. We've allowed too much in our lives uh, to unravel and we find ourselves undisciplined and yet we don't want to admit it and challenge ourselves to do better. 
Whenever there's failure, there should still be that prompting of the Holy Spirit that says, wait a minute, this is not what I want for my legacy. This is not who I want to be known as. These are the things that really I don't want to others to see as my character. I want to be perfect. How many of you want to be perfect? Honestly, raise your hand. Then continue to challenge yourself. In other words, it is something to strive for. We've allowed the world to tell us its definition of perfect, and all they can focus on is the physical. But there's much more to us than just the physical. To be perfect in our aspirations, in our, inspira- in our goals, in the things we want to get accomplished. As Christians, we're to be Christ-like. And again, to be followers, this may be the hardest of all the words, because we don't want to follow anybody. We want to be in charge. We want to do what we want to do. Can I hear an amen? amen? We're letting the world teach us how to live. Again, we're writing, he's writing this letter, and it's written to the church. I trust in this season that we're in that we're embracing again this word church instead of just neutralizing it. It's a great word. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. How many know you're a part of that church? He's building us. And so now we come to this, the meat of this as it was closing out this first letter. But we got to take it as a measuring rod. And ask ourselves, do I rejoice all the time? It's quiet in here. Am I thankful in every situation? He didn't say thankful for the situation. Am I thankful in every situation? And again, everybody's saying, well, no, I have failed, I have failed. But there ought to be something in us that says, but I can do better. I want to do better. That's where it really comes. I need to do better. I want to inspire somebody else to live closer to the cross. I want to inspire somebody else that years later when they come back, you know, you're one of the people in my life that obviously God put in my life to help me. You didn't know how troubled I was at that time, but your image, your character, your words, the way you handled things, your behavior, it inspired me. I never gave you the credit then, but I'm telling you now, you made a difference because I saw Jesus in you. Again, I told you it's a very simple message, and yet it speaks to us. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And again, how many times have we shared that particular verse These simple words, and yet it's speaking to us. And for many of us, we realize the Bible's not asking us to get down on our knees and walk around on our knees all day long. Can you imagine driving your car on your knees? Can you imagine going to a restaurant and getting up in the chair on your knees and eating and not being a laughingstock? What is Scripture teaching us? To keep that readiness of spirit that I'm always just a breath away from whispering his name over any situation that comes my way. Am I praying without ceasing? Or have I got so dependent on my own opinions, my own abilities, 
You see, as we get older, with our educations, with our life's awareness, we get to where we depend on self. And at times, it seems to be the right thing, and yet, we can go too far, can't we? How long has it been since we've really asked God his opinion about a certain thing? Or what he's wanting to do? Or, God, are you involved in this? It doesn't seem like you were in it. But there's nothing that happens to me without you knowing it. So you've allowed it to happen. I wonder for how many of us, when something doesn't go our way, our first impression is to have a pity party. Or to have a temper tantrum. Or to boo-hoo. Or to fuss. Or to nag. Or on and on and on. Coming again to this now. Pastor, you're you're kind of tough. No, I'm just reading his word. So I'm reminded of something. Those of you that are sports enthusiasts, you'll know this story already. But it really has a poignant point to it. In 1961, a man by the name of Vince Lombardi went to his football team in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He walked into the training camp and he picked up this two-pointed ball called a football. He picked it up, and his first words at training camp was what? This is a football. Now, here are professionals who have been playing the game for years. Was he meaning to be insulting with that? And yet, it's one of the most quotable quotes today in all sports. Because you've got to know the rest of the story. At the close of the season, the previous season... Green Bay had a crushing defeat at the hands of Philadelphia. It stayed with Vince Lombardi the whole offseason. And so what he was telling his team is, we got to remember why we got into this thing. we got to remember the fundamentals. we got to remember what got us here. we got to remember what's going to take us to where we want to go. To this day, whenever you watch a Super Bowl game... The trophy is titled after him. Why? Because he was that leader that stepped up and said, let's get it right. Let's go back and get it right. We've assumed some things. We've learned some things. And you see, if you do something long enough without going back and measuring, you can get off. Professional golfers have learned this. Their swing may just be just off something so minuscule. And yet, it takes that effort to go back to see where their feet are, where their hands are, the swing time, all those components go in, and they realize, you mean that right there made the difference of all this out there? Yes. Again, this is what Paul was writing to this church about, and that's why I'm preaching the way I am today. I'm not here to wow you. I'm here for us to look at ourselves again. It's this exhortation that the Word of God gives us. To exhort someone is to urge somebody. There's an urgency. Have you ever wanted to get in somebody's face and just tell them, get a life? Have you ever gone to somebody and you just know they're blowing it for the umpteenth time and you're... You're so frustrated with what they're doing themselves, you just want to take a two before and hit them upside the head. 
This is what exhortation does. Get a hold of yourself. The urgency to urge somebody, to push somebody, to caution somebody. To pray without ceasing, to, to rejoice always. In other words, put that finger in your own back and just say, you know what, today I'm going to go back to this as a football. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice in it and be glad. No matter what happens today, I have the privilege of rejoicing. If I find myself not doing so well, stop self. You ever talk to yourself? Self, you need to get a hold of yourself. Again, it's those simple things that can keep us on the straight and narrow. How many of us love to be around somebody else that's complaining all the time? Raise your hands. Not the first hand going up. Then why are you trying to be that person complaining in front of everybody else? But the person who can find something to rejoice about in all things, aren't you drawn to them? The person who can be thankful no matter what happens, it could have been worse. What are you trying to show me, God? Of the many years now I've been serving the Lord, that's, that's one of the areas that I do for myself. When I'm going through something different or going through something, and I'll get, I'll get real close to home on this one. How many of us have gone through something and it was so painful? And somewhere in the future, circumstances show up and it looks like you're going to go down the path you went down before. And it finds you being paralyzed. In just a little bit of time, you realize, no, just the first couple steps seemed like yesterday, but you allowed yourself to be frozen because all you could remember was the pain. So what I've tried to do for myself is, Lord, I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why I'm going through it, but this one thing I know, you are God. And you are in charge. And even if this thing's going just like it did last time, you promised through your word that good comes out of everything. God, I'm going to take these simple scriptures again and edify myself. But it gets closer than that. And he goes on in these little staccato statements to pray without ceasing, to rejoice at all times, be thankful in all things. And he says, what? He talks to us about the Spirit, and he tells us, don't quench the Spirit. Don't water down. Don't put out the flame of the Spirit in our life. But we do that in so many ways. And yet the urgency says, don't do it. Don't quench the Spirit's work. Don't despise prophecy. What is it saying? Again, you see, the early church was a very spiritual church. This is the earliest letter. The gifts were already operating in the church. Today, we see a, a, an increase of the interest in prophecy. But many times we still miss it because the word prophetic or prophecy really means the voice of God, period. It isn't just always somebody speaking to us. Sometimes it's us reading his word. And many times we think prophecy, it's always talking about the future. Most of the time it's not talking about the future. It's talking about the now. 
The urgency of the now. What's that look like? I'm going to get down here where you are. That means when someone's preaching the word, we take it to heart. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing the word of God, what's happening right now, is so important. And yet, we can find ourselves just going through the routine. I was talking to Dr. Bowen, Jeff Bowen, a little while ago. And I was reminded of one of our favorite authors over the years. Any of you that likes theologians and their writings, you're familiar with the name Tozer. A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer asked the question, what's the greatest enemy of the church? And if I asked for a raise of hands, if I asked questions, who, what do you think? We would get a lot of different answers. We would talk about progressives, or we would talk about Satan himself, or we would talk about the, the wars that's going on right now that's breaking our hearts. But Tozer had it right. You know what the greatest enemy of the church is? The dictatorship of the routine. Just doing what we've always done. Until now it's rote. We go to church, we sing some songs, we hear a sermon, we go home. Before we go home, we stop at a restaurant, get some food, take it home. You can find yourself, how many of you have ever driven your car and by the time you get home you ask yourself, how did I get home? Did I go down the interstate or did I use the side streets? Did I even stop at a traffic light? Maybe you should have, but you weren't paying attention. The dictatorship of the routine. The complacency that can happen to any of us. That yes, if you press me, oh yes, I love the Lord. And we mean that. But is he special to us? And have we put those things in our life that keeps him special? Where we don't despise prophecy. And it may come through a gift of the Spirit. And somebody does have a word for you. And they do speak it by the Spirit. And you embrace it. And you say, thank you, Lord. Because you singled me out today to get my attention. How many of you have gone to your Bibles, whether it's digital or printed form, and read it and just say, oh my goodness, that was for me today. Do we take enough time just to pause then and say, thank you, Lord, because you just proved to me again how special I am to you, that you would allow me the privilege of reading this again and put a special emphasis on it that got my attention to let me know you're watching me and you're watching over me. We live in a world of sensationalism. We live in a world that it's got to be bigger and better. It's got to be more wowing. And we miss out on all the wonderful things when we're looking for just the wowing. Can I hear an amen? Again, I told you I intended to preach simple today. Because this is where the, we lose so much. He went on, he says, don't quench the spirit. goes on and he simply says, embrace that which is good 
And that which is evil, even the very appearance of it, get rid of it. Again, these are things you say, Pastor, why are you preaching? This is adult church up here. Don't, take this back to children's church. Well, look around. <laughs> we need to be childlike. You know, I can't imagine being churched most of my life and missing out on the full benefit of salvation. So I'm going to conclude this way today. Listen now to the prayer that we started off with. Look at verse 23, when he simply says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept, how? Blameless at the coming of our Lord. This was the very foundation this whole letter was written about. The coming of the Lord. It could be at any moment. Well, pastor, that letter's 2,000 years old. You see, that's how urgent it was then. And if we're not careful, the dictatorship of routine would say, well, if he's waited this long, he'll probably wait another 2,000 years. But we don't know that. What if he intends to come after his bride today? Are we still ready? Are we still longing? Are we still looking for his return? Or has it become routine? I'm a good person. I do better than most people I know. I do this, I do that. But you see, it gets to this place where it's hollow, where it has no feeling. It's the repetition without feeling. It's just going through the motions. So again, he comes back and he reminds us, embrace that which is good. Would you stand with me today?